0: West Bowles, good morning. It's picnic day. Uh, hence the attire. This is, this is like the one day a year I'm going to do this. So if you don't like it, email John Burns, and it will never get to me, and we'll all be happy, okay? So um, anyhow, thank you for being here. If we've not met, my name is Nathan, and I, I love getting to say this. I get to be pastor here at West Bowles. And those of you joining us online, thank you as well. Um, we are, as I said, we've got the picnic today, and so this is the attire, and I, I just have some people in my life that love to help me with my attire, with my wardrobe, okay? And so what, what I've been getting lately, and you've probably noticed this, and some of you fit this description, that the fashion for, for males with shorts has moved from where I have them to like here, like mid-thigh. All right? And maybe it's, just, maybe it's just the cool kids. Maybe it's just the younger generation. But have you noticed that? I mean, you can tell immediately who works out their legs on leg day and who skips it, right? And, um, and so somebody said, Nathan, like, that's, this is not the style. Okay? I know. Okay? David and Louetta Harrison blessed me with short little bare legs. Okay? And so <laughs> what that means is that these are those shorts that end right here on Anybody else? For instance, Mitch McCarty, would you stand up, please? Okay. See, Mitch? If we were standing next to each other, you would you would notice the difference in height. On Mitch, these shorts end, like, here. All right? I am sorry. You can sit down, Mitch. I'm sorry for that mental image. Um, but th- anyway, we're just going with it, okay? So I don't care. I'm Gen X. This is the style I'm wearing. And these, again, are, these are those shorts for somebody else. But anyhow, we are, um, if you've been with us through the summer, we were going through the Gospel of Mark. We're going to pick that up again in September. But for the last about month, we've been going through life verses. Now, many of you, you hear that phrase, and maybe it sounds familiar, especially if you grew up in faith. Because if you grew up in faith, you may actually have that verse that you've just, excuse me, always clung to. It has just described your journey. It has described where you just see God work so often. And oftentimes what we'll do is we'll just we'll come down onto that one verse, and that is a wonderful thing. It really is. Here's what you discover the more and more you get into scripture. Every verse is full of life. Every single one. And so the fact that I'm getting up here again doesn't mean that I've changed a a life verse in the last week. I just want to, I want to highlight a couple verses in light of something we did last week. And and I didn't really explain this up front, but last week we, we had all the students stand up and we had all the teachers stand up and we had all the administration and the infrastructure for the schools stand up. And we got to pray for them and and use that as a launching pad, whether you're tied into school anymore or not, but to basically look a year ahead, just to look down the road and go, oh my goodness, there are some things that we've just got to, got to, got to keep in mind as we go through this life, whether it's a season, whether it's the next year, whatever it is. And we touched on one of those last week. And I believe it's one of the greatest starting points you could start at. We looked at this book of Lamentations, and in chapter 3, w- tradition believes it was Jeremiah who said in Lamentations, his mercies are new every morning. And he wrote it in a context that was, it was a very difficult circumstance for him. And, and it's very easy for any of us to look around and go, yes, in, in the difficult stuff, w- when things aren't going so well, his mercies are there. And when everything's going great, his mercies are there. And when life is just boring or mundane or it's just okay, his mercies are there. And and that is, I believe, one of the greatest starting points to look ahead down the road. But this morning, I, I want to look down the road again, and this time I want to bring something else up, and maybe the best way to introduce that to you is to give you um, a little play-by-play of a short text conversation my wife and I had just this last week. I mean, we didn't even plan this, okay? So let's put that first text up. This was me. Okay, sounds good. Have a good day. Love you. Okay, let me just give you some context. She had, Kara, if I'm, where's Kara? Kara. Oh, hello, all right. Uh, so she had just texted me, remind me if I, or correct me if I'm wrong, you had said, like, Nathan, you're the greatest husband that, that anybody could ever have, and I'm so lucky to have you. So naturally, I said, okay, sounds good, okay? Have a good day, love you. Here's the response I got. Thanks, love you too, or thanks you too, love you? And, and have you ever gotten one of those? <laughs> And so as I was sobbing at the kitchen table because I had poured my heart out to her, uh, that was a couple texts before this. Anyway, I went, that's, that's got to be wrong. Well, she followed it up with, with this. Yeah, like a million exclamation marks. By the way, funniest thing you will ever listen to, how many of you use um, voice dictation on your phone to type things out? Okay, have you ever, like, caught people, and Carol's one of these people. Sorry, honey, I'm just putting this out there. Have you ever heard people, they'll say, hey, uh, hey, exclamation mark, great to see you the other day, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. I mean, it makes you have to say it, and I just think it's the greatest thing in the world. But anyway, let's get to the message. (laughs) So, question marks. In the year ahead there are going to be question marks. And, and, you know, that's not news to anybody in here. You know, we, we look at our world and it's like, well, of course there are going to be question marks. But I'm, I'm talking about a more personal question mark. I'm talking about the context of an interaction that Jesus had with his broader group of disciples, but also with, with his close-knit group of disciples and with Peter. Okay, here, here's the context. Jesus has fed 5,000 people and he begins just talking he begins talking to his broader group of disciples. It's believed that up to 120 um, disciples were actually following him around at one point. We think of the 12, but there were potentially up to 120 following him around at, at certain times. And Jesus starts saying this stuff. And he starts saying some difficult stuff. Remember, as we, as we discovered in Mark, this crowd had just been building and building and building. And they were following him and they were hanging on his every word and everything He did. And then he began to say a few things that caused people to go, what? Yeah, you know, just, just before this little interchange or exchange that we're going to look at this morning, he had said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, unless you do that, you have no part of me. And, and of course, we, we know this as, as communion, as the Lord's Supper, and, and as being connected with him and in fellowship with him. But many in those times— really did wonder if Jesus and his disciples were practicing cannibalism. And so they begin to hear stuff like this. They hear him say, listen, nobody can come to me unless God has enabled them. And then he would say things like, yeah, I I existed before I came here, and I existed before you came here. And people had a really, really hard time with this. And and in John chapter 6, we read that they began to grumble amongst themselves. And he says, does this trouble you? Does this trouble you? And, and, and then we read that disciples began to leave because question marks are beginning to form. And oftentimes when we get question marks, we don't hang in there very long, do we? About anything. You know, I, all you got to do is be watching a sports game. And as soon as it becomes, uh, un, you know, it, it, you're not sure your team's going to win, what do we do? Yeah, we turn it off. And, and hypothetically speaking, some people throw the remote, okay? And so, yeah, it's just not in our house. I just have heard people do that. And so, but yeah, when we get question marks, we, we exit. And this is what was happening. And so Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, you do not want to leave too, do you? You don't want to leave too, do you? Now, this is where Peter, okay? I, I, I know we, we've talked about this before. Peter gets a lot wrong in the early days of following Jesus, and, and I've, I'm still looking to the day with a little bit of trepidation that I end up in a room with Peter in eternity because I think that he's going to be like, hey, remember that time you you took some shots at me in the sermon? Let's talk about your life, okay? I don't know if that's how it's going to go, probably, but Peter, he just has these moments where you go, oh my goodness, that was the Lord just giving him the words and speaking right through him. This is one of those moments. Peter says this in John chapter 6 verse 68. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? To whom shall we go? Now that's a resonant question that I believe we need to camp out on, but oftentimes we miss it because we just keep flying through the passage. But Lord, to whom shall we go? I want you to think maybe about the year behind you or, or maybe a year ago today. You know, think about all that's happened since then. And, or maybe you think a year ahead. Think about all the different places you could have gone. And for some of you, maybe you have gone. You know, when trust has wavered, when you're not sure what God is up to, Jesus, what are you doing in the world around us? What are you doing with my life? We we tend to start looking left and right, don't we? And things can waver. So Peter, he says, "Lord, to whom shall we go?" And so I just started brainstorming because, you know, in, in years of getting to work with teenagers and in years of getting to be in the church, I just have gotten to observe. There are just things that the human heart, this isn't, this isn't like anybody specific. This is all of us. There are just things and places that the human heart will gravitate to. Okay, and, and side note, on the, if you grab sermon notes on the way in, my apologies. We had a mix up on the printing there's still white space for you to write on, but you won't have this week's sermon notes. Those are last week. Um, but I, I just started writing down. I came, I came up with nine, okay? There are probably 1,009 different places we could go. You know, more than that even. But of the ones that jumped out, there were just some specific ones that I just feel like we see over and over and over, okay? The first of those, the first of those is just difficulty with the doctrine, Difficulty with what Jesus had been saying here. In fact, this was the deal in this situation. People didn't like what they were hearing out of Jesus' mouth. And so they began, they began to move on. You know, I mentioned the cannibalism thing that, that some people thought was going on. There, there were those that knew he was from Nazareth and nothing good could have come from Nazareth. And how, how on earth could this guy be who he claims to be? You know, and so people just had difficulty with it. You know, it was just too demanding. It was too difficult. They just, they, they couldn't get on board with it. That, that's one of the f- places we run to when faith wavers. Okay? Next, gain. Gain. Have you noticed how much Jesus talks about losing something? You know, you, you got to suffer. You, you get, you're going to lose at something. That somehow humility is the way. Right, And then you'd look at, they'd look at who he hung out with, and they went tax collectors and sinners. I mean, in their minds, they're thinking, these guys, these are, these are losers, is what they thought of them as. And they didn't want that, and we don't want that. We, we like to be on a winning team. We like to gain, right? We absolutely like to. Okay, next area. <clears throat> Fear. Fear of persecution. I mean, the letter to the Hebrews. Do you want to know what the situation was when that was written? They were looking at going back to their their old ways because they were suffering for their faith. And they're looking around and they were sure Jesus was going to return and he just wasn't coming. And they get up day after day and week after week. And this, this promised return just hasn't happened yet. So they're starting to look around, consider angel worship, and they're looking at other things. You know, and, and so they think, yeah, I, I, I just don't know. Maybe, maybe those that have been persecuting us, maybe we can actually join up with them. You know, I, I don't know exactly what was going on in Judas's heart, but there was, there was surely a fear of the Jewish leaders that he wanted to ingratiate himself to them. And so he got on board with their plan. Next, wealth, wealth. Now, please hear me. There is nothing wrong with building a fortune. From what I've observed, it's what the fortune puts us in danger of. That's the danger of wealth right there. Because you know what wealth does? It causes us to just shift that dependence. We think, oh, if I could just, if I could just buy anything I want, I don't have to worry about it. If I could just have it, I can have it, I can have it. It becomes very easy to overlook God's hand in it. And we talked about that a little bit last week when they entered the promised land. He said, don't forget the Lord your God where you'll begin to think that I have done this, that, that, that our hands have done this. <clears throat> Next area, excuse me, <clears throat> the good life, right? If you found yourself just saying, I just want to be happy. I just want to be happy, right? We all want to be happy. And so I, I remember even thinking as a teenager thinking, oh, I got invited to youth group, and, and the image in my head was like three hours of prayer, like every single week, and I thought, why would I want to go do this? I'm glad I showed up, because like first five minutes, this girl, she comes up, she introduces herself, she's like, hi, I'm Brooke, and this dodgeball nailed her in the face. It was the greatest thing I had seen, at least that day, okay, and, and so... And she was just trying to greet and, and get like, my, own, my information so that they could invite me back. But I, I just remember thinking, oh, gosh, I don't want any of that dreadful stuff, right? I, I want everything to be enjoyable all the time, at all times. And as time went on, I began to realize that if God is really who God says he is, can't he call me to exactly what is best for me? And so as you, as you read through scripture, especially the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, you know what you get to? You get to something better than happy. And you get to something better than the good life as we think about it in America. You know what you get? Blessed. Blessed. And Jesus gets very specific about who are the blessed as he goes through the Beatitudes. And when you look at those situations, you probably wouldn't say happy, but Jesus would say Blessed. It is absolutely blessed. But a lot of times, we can leave because we want the good life. And I want enjoyable and I want comfortable. Next up, circumstances. Right? When your plans go awry, isn't it so easy to be like, God, I I thought this was your will and I thought that we were supposed to, this was the way we were going. I mean, I've talked to you about my, my journey to being a firefighter over and over. I remember just thinking, oh my goodness. Like, God, where'd you go? Where'd you go? When the firefighter thing didn't happen, it it, it was a crisis. You know, where'd you go, Lord? Circumstances can cause us to run. Just a few more. Next one, companions. Companions. Have you guys heard of dating with a mission? Dating with a mission? Missionary dating. We used to talk to the youth group about this. This is where, uh, and we just used to see it in the youth group, people would go, ah, I can go date that person, and I'm going to win them over, right? Do some of you have those friends? Some of you are pointing right now. Don't, don't point at people, okay? But it, this is where we think, oh, I, can, I can win them over. And before long, that person's been won over <laughs> by the other instead. See, our friends, those that we surround ourselves with, are some of the greatest influences on us. So companions... They can pull you away. They absolutely can. couple more. Laziness. Laziness. This is one we're all guilty of, right? I mean, you wouldn't dare skip physical food for a day, would you? At least not, not over a long period of time. No, none of us would. And yet when it comes to spiritual food, you know what we do? It's very easy to live Sunday to Sunday. If I can just make it to the sermon on Sunday, then I've got my word for the week, and, and that's it. And yet, Peter's saying, no, you have the words of eternal life. This is sustenance for us. I have to look at myself in the mirror when I say this, because I think, oh my goodness. Sooner or later comes a time where you get something out of the word, and you go, oh my goodness. How, do, how would I ever think that I would make it? that my faith would survive just going Sunday to Sunday. It's a great start. I'm here to tell you, dive into it. And if you don't know where to start, start with this passage this week that we're talking about. Dive into that this week. Last one, unsound doctrine. Unsound doctrine. You know what all that means? Is really the things that we will, will tie Bible verses to that really doesn't hold up. We've talked about helicoptering in on Scripture before, right? Right? They talk to us about this in seminary. A lot of times we fly our little helicopter into the one verse and then we pluck it out and we don't know what was going on when it was said or anything like that. And it can lead to some, to some things that God really doesn't say at all. But, you know, we, we just pull a quote out. Have you ever been misquoted? Yeah, somebody takes something you said and they just take a slice and they can twist it around. It's what we do. This is what we do. So these are the different things that just came to mind that can pull us away. Here's here's the whole point I'm trying to make as we've gone through these things. Human beings, we have a way of turning to neverlasting things to find everlasting life, don't we? That is you and I, we've got this thing in us, and this is just what sin has done to all of us, to all of us, that we will look at the stuff in front of us to satisfy something inside of us. I mean, it is amazing. How many of you are college football fans? Okay, yeah, it is coming, all right? It's in a couple weeks. Okay, how many of you are NFL fans? Okay, that's already starting getting rolling here. But it is amazing, how many of you, it is amazing your week can be made or broken based on some 20-year-old's ability to catch a ball or not, right? You know, I can't tell you how many times I've been like, oh, What a terrible weekend because some kid I don't know who's on scholarship should have caught that ball. I'm sorry. I'm still healing from from some of these moments, okay? But this is what we do with everything in front of us. We think if I could just fix what's in front of me, if I could just have what's in front of me, if I could just control what's in front of me, that would fix this thing, this yearning inside of me. Which is why you've got to hear what Peter says next. I know we camped out on that question, but there's a reason for it. Listen to what Peter says. The next part of verse 68. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You have the words of eternal life. And now Peter, what he's doing here, and he may not have even realized he was doing it, he's emphasizing a different starting point than where we start. You know, we just talked about, we start out here. If that goes right, then I'm feeling all right. If that gets fixed, then I'm fixed in here. And Peter is starting at something else. And to understand where Peter is starting, I want to take you back to Ecclesiastes chapter three. Keep in mind, Peter said, you have the words of eternal life. In Ecclesiastes, Excuse me, Ecclesiastes chapter three, somebody wiser than Peter, wiser than all of us, some people believe it was Solomon, others think it was, excuse me, I'm having trouble, Anonymous, wrote this. He, God, has planted eternity in the human heart. He has planted eternity in the human heart. See, he didn't set any of that list we just went through in the human heart. You know what he planted in the human heart? Eternity. He planted eternity there, it says, meaning our souls, our hearts will not be satisfied until something of eternal measure speaks to that and deals with that. There's eternity in the human heart. And so Peter is saying, Jesus, you're that source. You're the one who can speak to the deepest need within us. Come back to 68 again, 668. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. See, you may need to think, or you may think you need to fix what's in front of you. But here's the thing. What's been put inside of us cannot be reached by anything in front of us. It can't. I mean, how many of you have ever tried to dig up a garden with, you know, the little plastic children's shovels and rakes? You ever try to do that? I was digging a, a post for a, a hole for a fence post and I had rented an auger from Home Depot. Okay, so I'm, I'm like... You know, trying to work this auger, it starts spinning me around. I figured that's probably when it's time for a break and, and maybe to get a larger neighbor to just like be able to anchor and we can both hold this. And, and our next door neighbor came over and we're both just holding this thing as it's drilling down. We take a break and our son Lincoln comes in and he's got this little plastic shovel. It's like this big and he's just like, I'm going to help and just snaps the thing right in half. This is what we do when we try to take what's in front of us to fix what's inside of us. It just can't reach whatsoever. And so, as the conversation continues, we begin to get a different perspective. While we start out here and say, that's got to be right for me to be right, God started right here. And as you look at what Peter has to say, you begin to realize the process God goes about. Listen to what Peter says. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. I want you to read that again. We have, what's the phrase there? Come to believe. It's a process. And I remember for years thinking I wasn't sufficient. I wasn't valuable. I somehow wasn't part of whatever the crowd was, the Christian crowd was, because I remember thinking it was supposed to be instant. And yet what does Peter say here? We have come to. Now, I want you to do something here. If you've got a pen, near believe, I want you to write the number one. We have come to believe and to know. Next to know, I want you to write the number two, that you are the Holy One of God. Put a number three by that. See, that one, two, three, that's the order God works in. Peter was explaining exactly how God works. It's belief, and then it's knowing, and then it's seeing Jesus in all that's in front of us. But see, that's not the order we do it, is it? We go in the exact reverse order. We think, well, if I see it, then I'll be assured of it, and then I'll believe it. Isn't that what we do? If I see it, In essence, we say, if I see it, I'll believe it. But first, we want to see it, and then we want to become assured of it, and then we want to know it. I mean, this is how Peter operated, right? I mean, you just think about Peter. When Peter saw a question, he thought answer. When he saw a problem, he thought solution. When Peter heard silence, he thought talk. And so constantly, there were like these these gracious corrections from Jesus that were often coming Peter's way. Because Jesus was saying, no, 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 God God operates a different way here. Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, you know what it says? Faith, that's belief, where God starts. Faith comes from what? Hearing the word of God and hearing about Christ. See, he starts here. It's a faith thing. And then you get to Romans 12. And it's what? It's be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So the heart has worked its way to the mind. And then we can see differently what's in front of us. And so Peter is looking at Jesus and he's thinking through probably all that list that we listed off a little bit ago. And he's got to be thinking, oh my goodness, you are holy. That's not just like holy, like some abstract word. That is, you're so set apart. That is, you did something in that situation that nobody could have done, that nothing could have done. See, we believed, we came to believe and know that you are holy. See, it's all going somewhere. God wired us to live inside to the outside. But that's not the world we walk in, is it? And if if you question that, all you got to do is look at the last couple years, right? I mean, it's just like been in a, a, just an onslaught of outside in, and we've seen all the reactivity, and we've seen all the fighting that comes from that. And Jesus goes, no, 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 you can have peace in this world. I've overcome all this. You know, you know why? Because God intended, and that's that Imago day in all of us. We live inside out. It's believing, it's knowing, it's seeing that he is the Holy One of God. <clears throat> So, John 6, 70 to 71. Jesus frequently does this kind of thing. And you just go, okay, where did that come from, Jesus? Like, Peter just got it. Peter just got it. And Peter, like, still has a lot of maturing to do. He, he just seems to not get it frequently. And Jesus gives, he does one of those Jesus things where it's like he takes a right turn on you. And you're just like, what? What was that? Listen to what Jesus replied. Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the 12, was later to betray him. In other words, one of you has been responding differently to these eternal words of life. I mean, I think about the people whose faith we were able to point at in Scripture. You know, this is Peter's early days, but we've got letters from Peter later on in the New Testament that you just go, wow, wow. Only God could have done that. And I look at somebody like Peter, and it causes me to think of somebody else. I think of King David, right? Remember King David? You know, you read a lot of the Psalms, and this is just the pouring out of David's heart. When you look at David's life, it is just like blunder after blunder after blunder. And yet, you want to know what brought David back constantly? He's often described as a man after God's own heart but he just loved the word of God. Loved the word of God. You know, Peter, you look at Peter and you think this guy's never gonna make it in his early days. And yet here's Peter and he's reminded, you have the words of eternal life. Meanwhile, we've got other examples in scripture and this is part of what Jesus is getting at. You know, Judas. Judas sat there, he heard everything Jesus had said to all the disciples and yet something Something wasn't taking. Judas had a different posture toward the Word of God. You know, I think back to Solomon. Remember Solomon? He's considered one of the wisest people, you know, outside of Jesus, who has ever walked this earth. Incredible. He asked for wisdom; God poured it out on him. And yet, by the end of his life, Solomon—he's got hundreds of wives and concubines—and his heart has just been turned from the Lord. You you, you begin to see this throughout throughout scripture. I wrote down, excuse me, another one here. Demas. Demas was an associate and a, a companion of Paul. Paul the apostle. I mean, we read Paul's letters and you think, how could you not be affected by the words of this guy? I mean, if you're in a prison cell with him, I mean, amazing. And yet Demas abandoned him. You know, he was in proximity with Paul and he abandoned him. And so Jesus here is pointing at Judas. He's going, no, not everybody gets it. You want to know why? You want to know what the common thread of those five lives I just listed off are? They were all in proximity to the word of God, the the words of eternal life. But it was a posture thing. It was a posture. And so as we look ahead at question marks that inevitably are going to come in the year ahead, here's what I'd ask you to consider. What is my posture toward the Word of God? See, considering the Word of God, each of us, every single individual in here, we've got to decide. We've got to decide. You're going to have one of two postures. The first is going to be because it divides, it can't possibly provide for that thing inside me. And the other posture is when it divides, I'll trust that it provides. See, the context of John chapter 6 is bread and it's provision, but there's also all kinds of division in it. The word is sending people away because it's just too divisive for them. And so there was a choice that the disciples had to make. Yeah, it it may be dividing what's in front of me, but I trust it's going to provide for what's inside of me. Even if it doesn't feel comfortable, even if I don't like it, even if I don't always agree with it, it's really a posture of saying either he's God or I am. One story as the worship team comes back up up here. As I um, as I thought back to when I first encountered the Word of God, I remember I went I, I had to think all the way back, and there have been a number of times where I've had incredible encounters with the Word of God, but it was getting I, I remember high school, it was like my sophomore or junior year, and there had been a breakup. There'd been a breakup. Now, some of you are going to find this hard to believe, but she broke up with me, okay? I know, I know. It's, it's crazy. Usually, at least this is what I tell my kids. I was the heartbreaker. But anyway, and this girl had broken up with me, and I remember her, what she said. I just started hanging out with the youth group, and I just, some of my interests were changing. And she basically sat me down and had the talk. Nathan, she said, this is her talking. It's not me it's you. Okay? It's you, Nathan. You're different. You're changing. And I remember being invited out on a Friday night with friends, and I had no desire to go. I just wasn't feeling like it. And it was the first time I sat down, and I opened the Word of God and discovered just how much it can nourish And I don't wish it to be this way, but oftentimes, doesn't it take a crisis? Doesn't it just take a crisis? Absolutely. And yet, even though though it may divide what's in front of us, you can trust that it provides. Peter absolutely got it right. Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. So it's a decision if you haven't made. I'd ask you to consider in the coming week. Let me pray. We got one more song and we'll go eat. Sound good? All right, Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for your words, as Peter said it so perfectly, of eternal life. Lord, there are a lot of options we could run to, a lot of options we could go to, and yet none of it, none of it has eternal life. None of it lasts, and the end result of it is temporary. We don't take any of it with us into eternity. And so, Lord, remind us that when we have a longing of the heart, that's eternity. You've put it there, and there is one source that satisfies that, and it is our Savior and what he did for us on the cross. And so, illuminate, illuminate that very fact every single day as we look ahead. Write this on our hearts. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.